1: Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we go way down south to Bayou Country with Louis Michaud. He's cousins with previous guests, the Rayo Brothers, and he joins us on location from a local bar. Louis goes deep into Cajun and Creole history with us, what makes the music so unique. He's grown up in it, starting in his father's band, La Frère Michaud, and progressing through to Lost Bayou Ramblers and Pogetry in Motion with original Pogue Spider Stacy. Louis describes winning a Grammy and what that means to Cajun music. There's a new documentary and accompanying live album featuring Lost Bayou Ramblers. Check them both out. I have, and they're both incredible. Follow Lost Bayou Ramblers on social media. Give us a follow at PerformanceANX. Our merchandise is available at performanceanx.threadless.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Get your Cajun on tonight with Louis Michaud from Lost Bayou Ramblers.
0: This is Louis Nisho at Lost Bayou Ramblers, here on Performance Anxiety, talking about our new album, "Asta," live recorded at seven venues in New Orleans.
2: So I'm glad we got, we, we got in touch. This is good, because I've been listening to, the, uh, to, to your music over the past couple of days, and I'm, I'm oh, really cool. excited to talk about it. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, man. It's, I've been hoping I could get you on ever since I had uh, your cousins on so
0: the rail brothers yeah they're awesome they were
2: great they're hilarious we had a blast it was so much fun to to talk with them so when i when i scheduled you with howard i spoke i i reached out to jesse i said all right i'm having Louie on gotta let me know let me know what i gotta talk to him about what what's what's he passionate about what maybe something uh something fun i can talk to him about so he gave me a couple things and uh We'll go over them, but Ooh. the f- the first thing I want to nice. do is is get a little bit of a lesson here because I don't know nice. too much. It's Louis Minchot.
0: Yep, correct. All that's right. right, that's right. Yeah,
2: perfect. <laughs> that's all right. So I got my first my first Cajun lesson going. The second <laughs> the second thing in my Cajun education, what is the difference between Cajun and Creole?
0: Ooh, that's a big question. But uh, is okay. The short answer is. <laughs> The short answer is that Cajun comes from the word Acadian, which represents the uh, French settlers in Nova Scotia when it was Acadie, okay. who got kicked out by the British and ended up in Louisiana. So the word uh, in French, Acadian, which means Cajun. So they ended up in Louisiana, but the Creoles were already in Louisiana. Creole is just anyone who was born in the new world. So like if you're French if you're born in France, you're French. If you were born in Louisiana but you're a French descent, you were Creole French. If you were African but were born in Louisiana, you're Creole African. Same with Spanish and it was it's like that all over oh. America, it's like the Caribbean and South America and everywhere. It you was know, like Creole people everywhere, which was just meant it was to distinguish whether you were born in the New World or born in the old world.
2: Okay. So it'd be but, a difference between an Irish immigrant for me and, and somebody who's Irish but born here
0: yeah irish american or something like that yeah but but it's become it's become more racial lately so it's like it's become like you know for a while it's like oh you're creole if you're mixed or whatever but that became that was because of just natural you know thing and then it then it, after the civil rights movement and it, a few different times in history it turned into a, a more racial thing but you know it, it's a so it's a very deep thing but i can i associate with creole because Misho is not Acadian, Misha is French Creole. Okay. And my great grandma always said, we're Creole, we're not Cajun, because Cajun's a different thing. But we are Cajun. It's just uh it's like Cajun, like Rayo is Cajun by the way. You know, Rayo is there, you know, so Broussard is Cajun, you know, like even Beyonce, she has some Broussard, that's Cajun. Okay. She's Creole. She says i Creole. You know, it's all, it's all mixed up. <laughs> it it's, sounds it's, confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of things to a lot of people.
2: <laughs> that Well, that, that's there's good and bad in that, I guess, but, uh, so Jesse was telling me that you're really passionate about uh, traditions, uh, language, culture of, of Cajun and Creole Louisiana, and uh, so this, my next question, how is it, how is the state properly pronounced, authentically? Is it Louisiana, is it? Louisiana,
0: How, what's the best? Yeah, I think, I think Louisiana, I mean, it's kind of like New Orleans. A lot of people say it differently. Yeah. Some people say New Orleans, 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 and they're all right. No number. <laughs> uh, Louisiana, we say Louisiana. Okay.
2: Because I, I lived <laughs> in Alabama for, for years. My wife born and raised there, my kids are all there before we moved up to the D.C. area. I would always it would always be Louisiana and New Orleans. But when I lived in New Jersey, it was Louisiana and New Orleans. So
0: I was yeah. always just curious if, if, if
2: when you when you're from there, if one of those kind of pissed you off or not. Not nah, yeah, not those. There's other
0: things that pisses off.
2: <laughs> I I'm, I'm trying to I'm going through my notes and one of the things about this show is it's a little scattered we, you know I, we'll probably end up going back and forth on a couple different topics but you're in the uh, the Lost Bayou Ramblers and you guys are celebrating your 20 year anniversary this year how yep. how did you guys how did you get started in music I I've with your cousins being in bands and I have a little bit of, uh, of familiarity with your family and I know that you have a very musical family. How did you get started in music? What were you what instrument were you playing and and how did everything get rolling? I'll
0: do a brown sugar. I'll do a brown sugar. I'll do one, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I didn't I thought I thought it was at 8 o'clock. I had an 8 o'clock on my calendar. Then I looked an hour before. I thought, oh, it's 8 Central. Yeah. Uh, stopped at uh, this little outdoor bar where I figured it'd be quiet enough. to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Oh. Cool.
0: But it's uh, <laughs> awesome. But it's fun. Oh, yeah. 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 I like uh, a little we, ambiance. We played here. Oh, yeah. We played here quite a few times. and uh, So, okay. So my brother, Andre, and I, you know, who founded Lost by Rambles 20 years ago, we... Uh, both, you know, well, my dad kind of, you know, my dad was playing accordion with my family's show since I was about three or four years old. Okay. And uh, he's from and They all play music. And, uh, you know, it goes far as far back as my great grandma was an accordion player. Oh, wow. She, uh, I think she learned later in life, but we still have her accordion in the family. And, oh, uh, wow. And then... Yeah, it's it's crazy. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't realize it later anyway. But uh, I somehow got to touch the accordion myself. But I met a cousin who has it recently because <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of a lot of big families, <laughs> oh a lot of real God. big family. Like we were, they were from ten, and he was from ten, and you know. Wow. So, uh, and then my grandpa and all them played like kind of more popular music. Thank you. Uh, I'll come yeah. find my way up. Oh, I'll, I'll pay right now. Are you pay, man? i mean, sure. I'm right now. <laughs> yeah, we can pause it. No big deal. Thank you so much. So, uh, so I started playing fiddle when I was about eight or nine. I started taking lessons. Okay. And then my brother was playing trumpet, and uh, and I put it down. You know, after a few years, just you know, I was too young to be into it. And like the next year, I picked up the electric guitar. And my brother had been playing electric guitar for quite a few years, and and he was playing blues. We were living in Baton Rouge, and he taught himself all this blues music and was playing like uh, blues jams at Tabby's Blues Box which is a pretty famous old place oh cool and then my dad would have to escort him because he was underage it was a bar when he was like 15 years old wow so he taught me how to play blues and rock and roll he wouldn't show anything he just made me watch and wouldn't show anything he made me learn (laughs) by myself there you go that's uh, a brother for you exactly I'd steal his guitar when he was gone you know (laughs) And uh, so when we both turned, well, when I turned around 18, I picked the fiddle back up. Okay. And my grandpa had a fiddle that he never played on the mom's side. He just kept it his whole life. So it was a nice old German fiddle that his mom had bought him. So I took that wow. and started really learning. Thank you so much. Appreciate that service. So um, I started learning on my grandpa's fiddle. I was about 18 years old with my friend Matthew Ducey, uh, whose dad is the famous Beausoleil. Uh, Michael do say and uh okay. and uh we started playing and then and then I went and I went to learn French up in uh Nova Scotia in fact oh okay where uh where you know the where our Cajun ancestry is from
3: right right
0: and they have a program up there that that is literally taught I would say I would like to believe at least a thousand of my generation how to speak French because it's really hard to grasp the entire language down here because there's not enough chances to speak it full-time. Right. You know? Yeah. So you go up there to University of St. Anne, Church Point, Nova Scotia. just like Church Point, Louisiana, and it's like the same families, the same names, the Richards, the Comos, the Sauniers, the Leblancs and wow. learn up there. I brought my fiddle with me and I learned while I was learning to speak French and uh and I ended up so like I did a five-week immersion program and then I went hitchhiked by myself around eastern Canada and continued to learn French and continue to learn the fiddle and I was starting to like bring back these songs. Well, I guess i passed up a part well, so I have to go back to a minute ago. <laughs> but after, after three months of being in Canada and traveling by myself, and learning French and learning the fiddle, I went back home and my brother had been learning accordion the whole time while I was gone. So I got okay. back and this was 1998 and my brother had been learning accordion. And we started messing around. And the next thing you know, the next year we, someone asked me if I'd go play a gig somewhere. I said, yeah, I'll bring my brother. And then, uh, we didn't have a name and we named ourselves a, a friend of ours offered up the name lost by you ramblers on the way to the gig.
3: Oh, nice. <laughs> and that was,
0: that was like 20 years ago. And all like tomorrow, like next month, it was like 20 years ago. Wow. And um, so the part I, I skipped was that my brother and I both were raised from about 15, 14, 15 years old playing professionally in the show. Right. So, My family show was five brothers, fiddle, bass, triangle, guitar. And uh, like if one member would be, like one of the members lived in France for a while, he'd be traveling here and there. And my brother would go sit in and learn, and then he would take their place when they were gone. Oh, wow. And then the other other brother would go travel with them. They'd be touring on their own little group in France and stuff. And then so I I took his place on stand-up bass. Oh, wow. So I played stand-up bass from about 15 until... I still play with them. So I've been playing stand-up bass for about 25 years at the Fadami show. And that's how we really got started playing professionally and playing Cajun music. You know, okay. at the same time as we were playing rock and roll and blues and psychedelic music on our own, we were playing with the Fadami show a few times a week professionally.
2: That's Okay, so that makes a lot of sense to me because I was, in listening to a lot of the music, and particularly the live shows that, I've, that I was able to see, the music is—it's it, pretty wild. It's—it's. It's I've never heard accordion like that. I mean, I've heard uh, the the accordion ha- has got some like, like I don't know. You plugged into a wah, or it's—it's—it's it's, it's crazy. And, and
0: well, yeah, Andre Andre does some next level stuff with the accordion. It's not a wah. But I I can't give away his secrets, but (laughs) But he's he's one of the only Concordia players I've seen down here that use pedals. The only one.
2: He's the only one I've ever seen ever. Yeah, exactly. He uses but it's amazing. It sounds like Jimi Hendrix playing an accordion. Yeah,
0: dude. it is so crazy. Yeah. So what? Yeah, were he's his- really like a silent magician.
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing because you're not paying attention to what's going on, and you know, it, with his feet, he's just wailing away on this thing, and these crazy sounds are coming out of it.
0: Exactly.
2: <laughs> it's a, it, I, I was really blown away because when I when I first. When I was talking to the to your your cousins, they were talking about how you know how great Lost your Ramblers are. And I'm like, oh, they they play Cajun music. I'm like, and I'm thinking, you know, traditional Cajun music that people hear when they go to Mardi Gras. You know, you know Dixieland, and stuff. I'm like, okay. And they're like, no, 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 no. You got go go check out some of the live shows on on YouTube because you'll be blown away. And and it really did blow me away. It was amazing. Cool. You guys do play a mixture of traditional music and and modernize a lot of it. Is it difficult to do in a band like that when you when you're trying to keep the traditional music alive? Is is it how hard is it to, to modernize it?
0: Well, it's something that we have we have done naturally. It's not been hard on us because we. One, we've paid our dues in tradition, I would like to say, where you have know, played for, like I said, uh, d- decades with Le Fray Michaud and have been part of that tradition. And it wasn't until we've been playing for almost 15 years as a group that we decided, well, I'd say over 10, it wasn't until we've been playing for over 10 years as a group that we decided to start opening it up more. You know, where we just we just did what we knew in the beginning. We, we did what we learned in the family show. And then we eventually kind of added a bass drum. You know, we had like <laughs> just a bass drum and triangle. And then the bass drum added a snare and then a cymbal. So we had like a little, you know. And then the stand-up bass uh, left for a while. And then we ended up getting a little drum kit. But we got a bass. you know. We just kind of let things go naturally as they came. Okay, And it got to a point where we were comfortable enough with the traditional music with our own songwriting where we felt we were ready to, to uh, just just let some of our other influence, musical influences in and we didn't feel like it was cheapening the music or cheesing it, you know, we, yeah. we, we, were, we were able to allow some of our other musical influences to come in and it be what we felt beneficial to the music and it pleased us. Right. So it's really, and we continue to do that. So it's been a long natural process. It wasn't something we decided to do overnight.
2: And like like we mentioned before, you're big in keeping the the Cajun and the Creole traditions alive. It's it's a, a passion. It's down to building your house, we use the uh, oh what, B- bousillage, bousillage. Yes, I I, exactly. I I saw that video. H- okay, now how did you decide that that's one thing you wanted to do? That you, you're you're passion for the tradition is going to extend out to building a house
0: yeah um you know i think that's the i think that's the reason that tradition is important is because it has so much knowledge of how to live more in harmony that's all we have tradition because it teaches us how to use plants and Right. You know, what waterways do what? And it's all embedded in the language. And so I think, you know, the, the architecture with me, uh, my, one of my grandpas was an architect. And, um, oh, cool. you know, he taught, he taught me a lot about sustainable architecture. And I learned a lot from tradition. And so it's the same as the music where it's like you're taking what worked historically and bringing it to what, what works uh, with technology and using the best of both to sustain the culture. Because that's the other thing about culture and tradition is if it's not evolving, it won't sustain. If you're trying to keep it in a box and keep it in an aquarium, it's just gonna die. That's so you a good have point. to let it, you have to let it evolve. And that's what I did both, you know, at my house, and that's what we do with our music. And uh, you know, the same with the language. The language picks up a lot of my, it has to evolve with modern language. Like Cajun French has a lot of English, it has a lot of Native American, it has some Spanish, you know, because it's like, that's the world it was living in when it was created, it continues to evolve in that way, so you know, it's all about it's all about moving forward with with culture, for it to make sense, and for it to be able to survive in the modern world.
2: And one aspect where that's happening, and it's an unexpected aspect for me in in listening to your music, you know, is... Food, because I'll be honest with you, you know my, my Cajun my knowledge of, of Cajun Creole food goes to jambalaya, beignets, étouffée, uh, boudin, community coffee, which is a which is my favorite. <laughs> but you you came up with something that was completely new that I have never seen before. It, the ham
0: dog. <laughs> oh my gosh! That's what? so funny because. <laughs>
2: what in the hell how did you decide to do that
0: the first time i saw the documentary i was like oh my gosh i completely (laughs) forgot y'all filmed the ham dog
2: (laughs) it's in there right up front and center it is yeah
0: it's like it's like the denouement Uh, (laughs) 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 whatever. yeah it's it's actually the second time i'd ever cooked ham dog and it was both in the same location at at dockside because i think what happened was i had hamburger meat and hot dog buns. <laughs> so, and then I then I thought I was genius and invented a new type of food. But I think a lot of people have done it. If you Google it, it definitely comes up. <laughs> and and the other thing about it is, once you cook, when you're making it and when you're cooking it, it resembles too many grotesque things that um, you don't you know. Put just, it in your mouth. It's not a natural. Yeah, it's not like a naturally apt. But it's actually very good. I made them for I made them for my family on vacation, and everyone loved it. <laughs> I'm like those ham dogs were great. <laughs> like yeah, <it> was, <laughs> know, had, if there's any difference in hot dog mugs and hamburgers, gonna... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, and so
2: you know, Cajun cuisine is now evolving.
0: Exactly. We call it a Jean Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not uh, even,
2: see, I'm not even. I'm not even going to try to pronounce any of, of the song names or do because I. It's I'm, Irish. Catholic from New Jersey down to Alabama and now Virginia, so I have no no French, no Cajun in me, so I don't... I, I
0: Oh, I know. I know it's a foreign thing. I understand, for sure.
2: But I love it. it you know, I, I, I've only been in that area a couple of times. I'd, uh, a friend of mine had moved out to Lake Charles, helped him go out Ooh. there, and, and uh, so... I've had a, great. Yeah, I've had a little bit of experience, but you know, it, it's two trips out there, so you know, it wasn't I, I? haven't been immersed in it, but the music is is really cool. The the cuisine is amazing, and it's so much more than just going to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And you know, it's
0: oh yeah, it's every day. It's a it's an everyday thing. Exactly. It's...
2: Now, has as far as your passion for tradition, has the internet? Helped you guys, or has it hurt? Because I'm, you know, you can, I'm sure you can spread your music and, and and the tradition across the globe, but you also have other things coming in and and maybe influencing younger generations, taking them away from the tradition. Has it? Have you found it, it to be more helpful or more harmful?
0: Well, I guess I guess a little bit of both. Where, you know, we already went through a hundred years ago is when we went through. Americanization where it was illegal to speak French or any other language besides English in schools. And that was like the big, you know, radio and TV and just the laws and everything were all against the call French and everything. But I'd say I guess it today it goes both ways because the access to communication and the access to content, you know, some people are creating modern modern Cajun content. Where either it's a lot of it's very, I was gonna say, I started with the ham dog. It's very, a lot of it's very (laughs) self deprecating, you know? There's a lot of like, you know, uh, as far as cuisine goes, you know, there's these these jokes like Boudreau and Thibodeau, they saw a UFO, you know, Boudreau saw a UFO land, he said, Thibodeau, cook some rice. Because as soon as the alien got out, they were gonna eat, they were gonna cook them, you know, (laughs) a new species to eat. (laughs) Right. So. You know, and that's a lot of the so a lot of the modern internet, you know, Cajun stuff is a lot of it's comedy, and a lot of it's self-deprecating. And it uses as much of the language as the people creating it know. Which a lot of them it's like, oh, I remember my grandparents saying this and that, even though they're not fluent in in the, the French, Right. they know a lot of the words and a lot of like just local dialect and stuff. So that's like a very interesting that that goes viral only within Acadiana. Okay, like you, We're almost like a little mini Mexico or Latin America where I'll, I think it's like the Zodico. Zodico has a much bigger footprint because it goes from like Houston. It's more of the black community. It goes from Houston to New Orleans and even Atlanta and stuff. Right. And the Cajun thing is more just an Acadiana. And like, so we only have like, you know, a hundred thousand or a few hundred thousand of like legit community members and Ah. where like the Latin community has millions. So like i I compare it in my head to like, it's accordion music, you know, like you have all these Latin bands who have huge followings. Well, if you're playing Cajun music or Zodico, you know, you might, you can access maybe up to a million people. So when something goes viral in Acadiana, it's like, you know, it gets like a hundred thousand hits or something. And, uh, um, so you know, and then there's there's some new like uh, some new websites, some new blogs, and Instagram, TV channels, and such that focus on Cajun French. But it's it's very hard because the thing about French is that because of what happened a hundred years ago, when people were shamed out of speaking it, it's become a very secret, private code to where it's like. You speak it with your family. You speak it with your close friends, with people you know. And besides that, if other people try to speak it to you, chances are you'll speak a little bit of a different dialect. Ah. And you don't know them, or they might speak standard, and, and you're ashamed of your French. Like, the old people have been ashamed of their French, thinking it's not right. You know, okay. it's like Jamaican English or, like, pidgin, But there's a lot oh, of shame yeah. associated. Okay. So it's, But it's finally becoming... People are finally finding pride in it, and that's a beautiful thing. Even the older generations are finally being like, you know what? I'm proud of the language I speak, and I realize that it is actually legit and that it's uh, that it's a benefit to speak two languages rather than just one, no matter if I can read and write in it or not, because most of the Cajun and Creole French is oral. It's okay. not written. There, oh. are, there are written, and there are some people that were schooled and all that, but for the most part, it's an oral language so so yeah,
2: yeah. I was gonna say, so you recording this and and immersing yourself and, and spreading the knowledge of the traditions and all it, it, that's kind of documenting it more in a, in a way than just handing it down orally like like you'd mentioned
0: yeah, well, the music has been one of the biggest vehicles to keep French going for sure i mean you know there's no i don't think there's any greater any greater um Anything that's had a greater effect on keeping the language itself alive than the music, because the music is in the language, both rhythmically and linguistically. So it's like I always compare it to like trying to play salsa in German, like sing a salsa in German. <laughs> it, I'm sure it's been done, but it's not nearly as good as no. the original. So
2: I don't know, but I would yeah. want to hear that. I, now I got to go look. That's got to be on YouTube somewhere. I got to look that up.
0: Well, I've heard a uh, they had a Japanese Cajun band that came down and stayed at our <laughs> family's shack, and they gave us a cassette, and it was ja- it was Cajun music in Japanese. That's amazing, and it was amazing. But I lent it to a friend; he lost it, and I've never heard of it again. Oh, <laughs> damn! But, uh, That's you know, so. that would be
2: amazing. <laughs> That's two they things were, that don't belong together, like a ham dog.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's like. They were dressed in full Mardi Gras outfit in the middle of summer. They came down, in their full quarter to Mardi Gras, capuchon, everything. And they were singing Cajun music in Japanese. It was mind-blowing.
4: That is amazing.
0: But yeah, the music is, is the number one. And it allows, like, if it weren't for the music, I probably wouldn't speak French. I mean, I don't know. I went to learn. I felt like it was a part of me that was missing because, you know, so much of who I am is that and it's uh, I' a lot of other things too I'm, I'm Sicilian Irish Jewish American in general but I have so much French and and so much of like our mother culture here is that and I, I really did feel like it was something I was missing out on and I really do feel like more complete since learning it right and almost every single day if someone tells me I wish I would have taught my kids French or I wish my daddy would have taught me French both ways and my dad didn't speak French because his dad didn't speak French because his dad, my great-grandpa Louis Misha I, was a teacher in the early 1900s and was the one enforcing the law. Ah. So my great-grandparents were teachers in Mamou, point Blue, some of the most French you know, Creole places around that almost no English was spoken in and they raised their family in English because that was the thing
2: uh uh-huh. yeah so, law and
0: assimilation ex- exactly exactly law and assimilation <laughs> i mean look at us now like with the current the current political um environment you know I, it's like people that choose to speak spanish in america are going against the flow you know and it's yeah. like people that chose to speak french back then well a lot of them they would get to school they couldn't speak English. They couldn't even ask to go to the bathroom and yeah. they were forced to, 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 go on themselves and embarrass themselves. And that's a lot of the shame that they, they held, you know, that they that's still hold today. It's crazy. And uh, a lot amazing. of them, e- either they tried to disconnect with that part of themselves where they just learned English and you can still hear it in their accent today. That it's not their native language. Wow. I speak to people every day that sound like that is their second language. Uh, and then, or they, uh, or they just stopped going to school and went and kept working on the farm, and then eventually learned English. You know, so it's a very, very interesting uh, dynamic with the language.
2: That yeah, that's fascinating because I, I would have imagined uh, you, you've got people like, uh, and and this is gonna really again show my lack of knowledge of, of Asian culture. But you, you've had positive role models, Doctor John, amazing, you know, and.
0: God's like, uh, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No problem, man. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Cool. All right. So, sorry, that again. Oh, no no problem. It's,
2: it's kind of, it's amazing to me that it's lasted, the, the shame that you were mentioning has lasted as long as it has, because you look at. You know guys who who have had a, a big positive influence on on the culture like like dr john and uh I, the only two guys the only guys that come to mind right now are like justin wilson and uh like paul prudhomme you know cool. Emeril yeah. lagasse i mean these guys are these i don't it all just comes down to music and food for me that's uh everything and that's yeah. not just cajun i mean that's every that's like my whole life is just, it's just pretty much music and food so
0: Nice. Best so, two things on earth. <laughs> oh yeah. Exactly. So that's how I base
2: my knowledge on things. It's it's if I can name an artist and a and some chef or, or, or cuisine, some dish, then I'm happy.
0: Nice. So. Exactly. I understand that. That's right.
2: <laughs> now you guys, now okay, so Lost By Ramblers have eight albums out now? Is it eight? Um, or nine?
0: Believe, well this would be this would be our tenth. Tier- If you can, if you include, we released our very first gig that we played in 1999. Oh. We released it on cassette three years ago. Wow. And it's just two sides. It's just like two long songs. It was our first gig. We sat down, we played all the traditional tunes, (laughs) we know, and a few originals, and that was it. But yeah, more or less, it's our ninth uh, LP.
2: You didn't, that that wasn't the cassette with the Japanese Cajun music, and you didn't tape over that with that, did you?
0: Okay. Oh my! Maybe that's what happened. I blame it on a friend. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now you you also do in uh, the in the family folder There you have Spider Stacy from the Pogues. Oh yeah, how did that relationship start? Because I I love the Pogues.
0: That's that's a great question. <laughs> well, it he took a few years to let us know, but he had seen us at One Eye Jacks. And, uh which is where we're doing the official release of this live album oh, the cool. documentary and uh he had seen us play there and we didn't know a few years later I ran into uh the guy uh Davis rogan that uh treme was kind of based on okay at a co- at a coffee shop he said uh I said hey man a spider wants to uh spider wants to, said that y'all starting a band or something I said spider I said, spiders. I was thinking of another. The only spider I knew was a guy named. Uh, his last name was Bouton here in Lafayette, and okay. uh, he's many like driver here while I'm sitting, and he passed away. I said, "Man, spiders dead." He said, "No, spiders you from the Pogues." I said, "I said who?" He said, he said <laughs> "I said I know about the Pogues." He said, so uh, I said, okay, well, cool. Uh, I, I said, I don't think we're starting a band, but maybe. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then I got a call from Spider like a week later. He was like, well, my cover's blown. I've been wanting to start. I've been thinking, dreaming how else awesome it would be to like play with you guys because I thought that y'all would, you know, be a great band to play with. And I said, cool, let's do it. So yeah. I went to his house and uh, and we talked. And I, went, I, I had played um, – Dirty old town before, but besides that, I was very, very knew very little about the Pokes, right? And so we started from square one, and which is great because we weren't like fans or knew everything. It was like yeah, so we just learned everything, and we we played dozens of gigs with him since then, and it's it's just so natural because we play it like we hear it. He sings it like he knows it, which is. Better than anyone out there, but yeah, Shane, yeah, yeah you know? exactly. And uh, and we've had just a great time playing with him. And he and Louise have become some of our best friends. And now we've brought into the mix Kat Ariordan, who was the original Pogues bass player.
2: Okay. What, what are they all doing New down York. in Louisiana?
0: Well, he was there, I think, working on Treme. I think he's in Treme. Okay. And he ended okay. up buying a house and staying, spending more than half a year there every I year. Mean, he's been in London more lately. But uh, for the most part, he's been, you know, in New Orleans a lot of the time. And uh, that's just been amazing because, you know, it's great to have a mentor like that, for one, who's been who's been through what we're going through for once. Yeah. For one. And, you know, he's just a great down-to-earth person who's just, you know, we hang out a lot more than we play music. <laughs> that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it really is. Cause, I mean, they're just wonderful people and... The funny thing is, is that whenever Shane McGowan had left the band for uh, the middle of their career and yeah. they started the, and started the Popes.
2: Yeah, Shane, and, the Popes Shane McGowan and the Popes. And,
0: yeah, Shane McGowan and the Popes were playing. Meanwhile, the Popes continued playing and Joe Strummer, well, I think Fire was the singer for a while and then Joe Strummer stepped in a, from The Clash. Okay. And... And Spider always tells me a lot of stories about Joe Strummer and how much he would love us and all this because I wasn't familiar with him either until uh, Spider started talking about him. But it turns out okay. that Joe Strummer introduced the Pogues to Cajun music. Oh, really? And wow. he uh, and they wrote a song called "Amade" about Amade Arduin.
2: Okay, who,
0: who was Amade Arduin was one of the first people to record Cajun music, and he was also him and Dennis McGee are one of the first biarchical recording acts in the nation.
3: Oh, uh, wow. So they
0: wrote a song about Amadei Ardenweiler called Amadei, and uh, we sing it, we do it sometimes, The Spider sings it, it's in French. It's oh, a Pogue cool. song in French.
2: Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Now, I, I did hear the version of Dirty Old Town that you guys did, uh, I believe it was as pogatry in Motion, and uh, you did that in Cajun French, correct?
0: Oh, yeah, I do. I did half of it in Cajun French and spite love. It's like they really encouraged me like, yeah, do it, in, do it in French, do it in French. So, <laughs> you know, I do half in English, half in French. It's great. I love doing, I love, the. I love working with the language and going t- between the two because the translations are always real fun, you know. Oh, and God. And that one works good. So.
2: Yeah, well, it sounds amazing. It, it, it actually, you know, it flowed really well together. It sounded awesome.
0: Yeah, that's, oh man, that's that's, just, that's, I guess, I think it's the only song that I sing with Pogatry, I believe. And now having caught there, she's amazing too, and she sings a few, a few songs. She was tight with Joe. Oh man, it's, it's just a great, the other funny thing about that is that uh, people have always compared us to Pogatry. Oh are really? And without, and like, because we're, a, we play traditional music, but we do it our own way. Or like, and he said it was the same for them, where you, you know, people call it punk, but to us, we're just playing the music like we like it.
2: Right. That makes sense.
0: So people have people have called us punk Cajun music, and people call them punk Irish music, but okay. we don't call ourselves that. And then people compared us to the Pogues for that exact reason, and I still didn't know who the Pogues really <laughs> didn't know much about them. I mean, I was like, okay, yeah, the Pogues, they're a they're a punk band. An, an Irish band. Irish <laughs> punk band. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a cool. It's really cool that that all came together because it's very natural, and it's a great, great collaboration.
2: All right. So, the album Kalinda. I want to ask you a couple questions about that because that that's an amazing album. It was produced by Corey Ritchie, and that's to me that's a that's kind of a wild choice i guess is the best way to put it because he's you know he's known for arcade fire and lcd sound system and yep that's music.
0: well that's the that's the great irony of it is that cory ritchie is from egan louisiana uh a small small barely even a town he's not even from the town. he's out from the middle of nowhere country (laughs) and he grew up as a rice and crawfish farmer and he wow. showed me a picture of himself the other day at like 12 years old with his champion bull, you know, <laughs> at, the, at, the, <laughs> at the Crowley, you know, rodeo or the 4 H or whatever. Bull named Joe that won the. Uh, so they turned up the music. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, the thing about Corey Ritchie is we met him when we recorded our first album, Dockside, And that has a whole story in itself, but. He uh, is, like I said, he's from Acadia Parish, where Wayne Toops is from. He grew up playing music, but not French music. Just like, you know, just like uh, like most of our generation. And uh, he started working at Dockside Studios, the world famous Dockside Studios. And he got in there at a young, young age because he was super... He started as like the landscaper. Oh, wow. And then... But he never divulged the information that he could run Pro Tools and was a pretty, pretty, <laughs> qu- solid engineer. <laughs> and one day the engineer didn't show up, and he became the house engineer at the dockside and got to work with Dr. John and wow. Scarlett Johansson and all that. And that's when we met him right after Scarlett left. Um, she just had finished her 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 Tom Waits album, Anywhere I Lay in My Head, and right, we right. got there the next day. And Corey was the house engineer. We met him then and we you know like everyone falls in love with his personality and his and his production style and then we got him to produce mammoth waltz and that was like you know that was when he stepped in and really became producer and then we've been working with him ever since and he joined the band for a while and he was actually still in the band while he was playing with lcd sound system but it got a little too crazy so we decided it was best for him to not be in the band and just be our producer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, so, a few years ago, you all got some <clears throat> really heavy rains that flooded the studio. and The yeah. studio's got a, a, a Neve console there. Did that, did that make it through okay?
0: Yeah, actually, it's in the documentary where um, the interesting thing about Dockside is that our first recording was made right across, it's on the Vermilion, the Bayou Vermilion, and our first recording was made right at our camp which is on bayou vermilion right across the bayou from dockside. Yeah. So we started over there. <laughs> I didn't even know dockside existed. And then I met some people that introduced me to dockside. I met him in New Orleans like and I could go so I could go on I could go on, and on about the funny coincidences, but eventually I made it to dockside and it was like I could see it from the camp and I never knew it was a world-class studio Wow! and I was living at the camp. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never knew it was Doc's. I'd heard of Doc's side, but I didn't know that was Doc's side. Wow. And, uh, so, so when the water started rising in 2016, they were watching it and eventually wish, uh, you know, the, the matriarch of Doc's side and her son Dylan's because Steve, the owner, he's, uh, he's basically paraplegic in a wheelchair. Right. And, um, and wish and Dylan went in the studio and in two feet of water began unplugging all the, all the, all the, all the uh, I don't know what you call them, but you know, all the individual preamps and everything that's, that makes up a deep console. Right. They unplugged every single one of them and took all the racks out and pulled everything out and brought it to higher ground to the, to the pool house where it didn't flood. Wow. And it was insane. So the docs I took on two feet old, water our camp t- took on two feet of water my dad was living there at the time he still is um and so uh so both places were were flooded and we were out there with my boat i was there with my boat just to get to my dad's camp to help him bail out and then it just became just this giant uh you know volunteering fest and everyone came and helped out and got dockside back and it was good it, you know it was good it, Gave it a good overhaul and uh, gave it a chance to redo some things. And uh, same with the camp, you know, <laughs> nothing uh, was damaged too badly, but it was a quite the quite the scare uh, with all the yeah. flooding that's been happening recently. You know?
2: so, well, yeah, I mean, neves are incredibly expensive and un- unbelievably complicated. I can't even imagine yeah, taking one apart and then trying to put it back together.
0: Yeah, Tony Tony Daigle, uh, who like really helped build the studio in the first place. You know, stepped in and really helped put it back together. And you know, yeah, ha- I think they even got a little support from Neve themselves. And uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. I mean, uh, it's crazy how that's the thing about flooding, uh, climate change, coastal erosion. You know, particularly here in Louisiana, is that the more this stuff happens, the more it threatens our way of life. And that's the prime example. You know,
3: yeah,
0: it, 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 it it's one thing when it's a However much it's worth, need board, you know, yeah, priceless, <laughs> yeah. priceless. But you know, it's the same thing when it's a family who gets uprooted and has to move and, and leave their community, and it's uh, you know, it's really, it's crazy how it's all connected, and that's uh, that's the inter- That's the scary thing about it all is that you know we've had our first, the first community in America that had to that had to relocate itself. From, from Global Warming was the, point of, uh, the Ile de Jean Charles Indians next to Point of And oh, okay. uh, I went down there years back. That's where uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild was filmed. Oh, and, okay. Uh, they had to uproot the entire community and move it because it's basically just sinking. Oh you know? like, like, my gosh. But, yeah.
1: The
2: documentary cool. really illustrates a lot of that really well. The, the, the flooding and, and what you guys had to go through. But the it also shows you guys winning a Grammy for Kalinda. how, how was that I mean How far in advance do you get notified that you're up for the award, and then what? I guess you want to know what that experience is like because I'm never going to win a Grammy for anything.
0: Well, um, yeah, it starts with the nomination, and uh, we had got nominated ten years previous, and that was a complete surprise. Like our drummer texted us that morning, was like, "Hey y'all, we got nominated for Grammy." I'm like, shut up, <laughs> <laughs> shut up. And he's like, "No, I'm serious. Like for real." And they had just done the first Cajun Zotico game, but we were so out of the loop and kind of didn't care. And we <laughs> thought he was literally joking. <laughs> and uh, so we went that uh, 10 years ago and, you know, Terrence Simeon won. Then the Cajun Zotico category proved to be too small. And the same people kept getting nominated. Oh, not gosh. us, <laughs> not us, but other bands kept getting nominated every year. And then, uh, so then they, they combined us with the Hawaiian, Native American, uh, jazz uh no, not not jazz uh Hawaiian and American like New Orleans music and all that which is more appropriate it's like American subcultures okay and yeah. uh so we got nominated again and it was just as much of a surprise cuz we had just released the album as well yep we had just released the album okay and uh it was, it was like oh my god we're nominated And people started telling us, man, y'all, y'all might win this. Shut up. up." (laughs) But we decided to go. And uh, I had just had my third baby was born right before, like a month before. Oh, my God. And so it was quite a crazy time. And I went up there and sure enough, we won. And uh, and it didn't I didn't think we won because they said they announced Kalinda first. And I thought they were going to say, like, the name of the band. They're like, yeah, like, oh, that's not us. Yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> Oh, it's us. That's our album. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was quite the amazing shock. And uh, yeah, uh, wow. I mean, that's pretty hard, pretty hard experience to even reiterate. But uh, it's been it's quite the honor. And it's, one of the most amazing things about it is just the fact that we have put in so much time and hard work. And musicians get the bad rap, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, now it's like you can be like, okay, well, I can be proud to be, you know, not that I wasn't before, but now it's like you can't judge me, right? Yeah, you can't judge me for being a musician. It kind
2: of kind of like going back to the tradition of the Cajun. Now you, you you'd be proud of it, proud of it all, proud of Exactly. Cajun, proud of being exactly. a musician. It's all coming full circle. And the
0: overall, yeah, and that and those awards have really helped bring a lot more pride to the area as well. You know, it's like being recognized by one of the biggest national, international entities. And, uh, you know, it's 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 really has brought a lot of pride to the language and to the music and everything. So that's really cool.
2: And now you can charge more when you guys tour. We're Grammy winners. Come on.
0: Well, in, in theory. <laughs> in theory. Yeah, but, you know, I mean... It's we're still we we still do the same thing we did before, and we didn't, you know, we didn't say, okay, now's our chance (laughs) to like jump on. But I mean, you can, but you know, we've made it as far as we have by taking it like we like it, and we've been all completely self managed and self booked since the beginning. Wow, we've tried a few bookers and managers here and there, but they never work out because, for one thing. It's hard to understand what we are because we're not we're a Cajun man, but we're not just a Cajun man. Right. And how you know, no one can sell us better than we can. And you know, it's just easier. Andre and I manage and book everything and and we're in control if we wanna if we wanna take off to go to our to our nephew's baptism or whatever the (laughs) hell, you know. And that's the thing, it's that we're, we're very family oriented and, uh, you know, and that's how the music was created through like close ties. And that's the way we keep it. And we do what we want to do. And we've been very fortunate to be able to have taken it so far with that mentality, you know, and not, you know, and, and I think the music world is changing a lot as well. And it's, oh, for sure. uh, I don't think that the dream and the model exists as, as they did. I mean, we're also lucky to have toured a lot when it was easier to tour, when people were going out more, when it was gas was cheaper, you know, all these reasons. And, uh, now it's a lot harder, you know, it's it's hard to bring people to clubs and there's, there's probably a thousand times as many bands as there were 20 years ago. right, You know? Yeah. I I would definitely. So many bands, so many releases and it's, uh, so yeah, you know we do it works, and uh, we're very fortunate to continue to do so. And twenty years, twenty years later, here we are. That's.
2: <laughs> I know, I've kept you for a while. I just, I have just a couple more questions, and I'll let you have the rest of your night and, and the rest of your beer. <laughs> you guys, <Cheers. laughs> I wish I had one. I, I'm out.
0: I, about that. I have an old <laughs> bottle
2: of Prosecco that I finished over the weekend. I haven't thrown the bottle. Oh,
0: nice! That sounds good. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> but I haven't thrown it out yet. It's just still sitting there next to my soundboard. <laughs> All right, you guys have have played, have scored some silent movies live. What, yeah, we record. What did, yeah, How did? How did? How did that come about? And and how is that different from playing just a regular live show?
0: Well, the the one we did one. One silent movie it was The Great Train Robbery. Okay. Which was one of the bigger silent movies of 100 years ago. Or
1: whatever yes, the now. first one, I think.
0: Yeah, the first, yeah, it was like the first silent movie, right? Okay, yeah. So, uh, so we, that was really fun. We did that at Mass MoCA. There was a special, uh, a special kind of program they had going with their festival at Mass MoCA. And that was really fun, but we've scored, I think, three films now and that's been quite an amazing experience as well we just finished a score of a film they actually named lost by you oh, and it's wow. not the not our documentary it's a feature film a uh, fiction based on a traitor like a cajun healer but more of like the neck the, the daughter who was You know, had some drug problems and they went to see her dad, and their mom had died, and he couldn't save her. He knew it was supposed to be a healer and all this stuff. So, really good, really good film.
1: Cool. That
0: sounds awesome. And then, of course, we were part of Beast of Southern Wild, which has taken us all over the place. And we've performed with orchestras to uh, live live, uh, screenings with live sound, live score performance with us and orchestras. And we Man. did this rodents of unusual size nutria rat documentary, which is that, super
2: cool. I wanted, definitely wanted to ask you about that. That was going to be my next question. First of all, is that a, a reference to the Princess Bride?
0: I, someone just told me that actually recently. I was like, I had no idea. <laughs> I've never seen it. So,
2: uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, you've got to go see Princess Bride. It's it's one of the funniest movies of I don't know the eighties. I guess it came out. <laughs> It was hilarious, oh,
0: man. No, I need. Oh, I need to see that. I had no idea. Yeah, it's got Fred
2: Savage before the Wonder Years in it. It's got Carrie Elwes. Really, yeah,
0: Robin Wright oh,
2: before she shit. became Robin right. Wright Penn. Oh, Peter wait. Falk right. is in it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, when I they, think
0: I've seen that.
2: Yeah, and uh, Carrie Elwes and and Robin Wright go through this the uh, the dark this really dark forest where these plumes of fire come out and then these enormous rats come out and they like chew their faces off and it's uh, they call them the rodents of unusual size i think
0: okay i did not get that <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the funniest thing about you know <laughs> they never told us that either that's you know, oh think. man well that yeah, that's that was a great great documentary I, really well done
2: now, has, has that one, the album for that one, come out yet? Is that already released? Yeah, we, we okay.
0: put it out in January uh, on CD and on digital. And so that's like 23 tracks. Okay. Really fun to make. And, of course, Nutria, you know, have been a big, uh, Nutria Rats have been a big problem here in Louisiana. They were brought here for furs. Yeah. When fur was big, but then fur became not big, and <laughs> then they just started eating the levees. Oh, God. Which, uh, you know, which... That's something I wanted to talk about, too, was this live album that that we're putting out uh, in September. We recorded at seven different venues in New Orleans. Oh, cool. Except one of them was on the North Shore. Uh, Dewdrop Jazz Hall, the oldest, they call it the oldest jazz hall in the world. Oh, wow. Longest standing, and it's in Mandeville, Louisiana. It's a little, it's a little uh, cypress or a big Cypress shack, I should say. It's
3: little, <laughs>
0: but it's um, it's crazy. It's built just like the main room of my house that I moved. I tore down a house, and moved out there. It's like the same exact construction. It's like Cypress barge boards, what they call it. It's okay. like which is boards that were taken off of ships that were sent down the Mississippi from Kentucky. Is the way they used okay. to uh, ship goods down one way, and then they would take them deep. Uh, denail of the whole barge and turn it into lumber. Oh wow! But anyway, the i courted at seven different venues, Maple Leaf, and they're all they're all within like a block or two of the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River has been crazy flood levels all year, and they were scared that Hurricane Barry was going to overtop it and flood New Orleans again. So uh, it's, been, it's been a really interesting release because as we were mastering it, that was happening, and here we are with all these clubs, Maple Leaf, uh, Tipitinas, one Eye Jacks, Preservation Hall, DBA, the Music Box, and then Dewdrop Jazz Hall all right there next to the river and we kind of sequenced the album as like it's almost like you're on a journey, you're going from club to club. Oh cool. You know, down the river. And uh so it's a really, really fun, fun concept, fun album. And some of it we recorded for the documentary and some of it we recorded after. So it really just ties in right on to the documentary. And it's you know we decided to kind of just do a double release, and it's perfect perfect way to celebrate twenty years too.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Are you guys going to be touring around soon? Uh, or do you, do you guys tour
0: play live regionally mostly? Or do you guys go out? We do mostly regional, but we definitely do national. Um, we uh, you know we just kind of do it comes naturally. Like if someone calls us in California, like hey, want to book you to festival? Like hey, let's go. Yeah, and otherwise. We're not like, let's go to California. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, with this, we've been doing it for twenty years. So you know, uh, this is uh, you know, I have a family and we we have lives. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> so, oh yeah. But um, but so we're going to be starting the tour in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Bowl. Uh, we're doing the documentary screening. We're doing Lost by Ambers, and then we're doing Pogetry with Spider Stacey and Kate Reardon that's awesome and then the next day we're playing at Yale with Katie Redd the bounce artist which <laughs> oh, is going to wow. be amazing uh we played at Yale many many times because our first drummer happens to uh be a dean there and <laughs> has done a, brought a lot of interesting Louisiana culture and acts up there oh, and so wow. we've kind of gained a little following in New Haven Connecticut <laughs> that's crazy that's awesome. It really is. We do a crawfish ball there every year, and it's awesome. Uh,
2: oh my god! And
0: then, uh, and then we're coming back. We're doing New Orleans at One Eye Jacks as the official release. We're doing the screening and a full performance. And since it's our twenty year anniversary, we're going to be inviting some of our past members who play in other bands. Okay. to Come join us and such. So uh, that's great. And uh, yeah, and then we're doing mostly Louisiana stuff. We're doing. Uh, little run up to Muncie, Indiana for the Three three Trails Festival and we're doing Lafayette here in Lafayette, the ACA, the Canadian Center for the Arts and on and on. We're going to be in a, we, we're very lucky to be able to play. Lately, it's been 80 to 90 percent of our gigs here in Louisiana. Yeah. You know, that's great. and I mean, it really is because it's expensive to travel, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, People don't, people do not, most people do not realize how much it takes to put on a tour and to travel as a musician and how risky it is and how financially, you know, it's really financially, it's variable, you know. Right. You don't know how you're going to do. And uh, man, I mean, that's life. Like, hey, everyone's talking about (laughs) the cost of living (laughs) and everything. And like being a musician is... Definitely a labor of love. You know, no one—not oh, I, I, no one. The most of us do not get rich off music. We do it because we love it, and we're lucky to be able to keep keep doing it. So, uh,
2: yeah, and touring with with a, a Cajun band is not exactly the same as touring with a rock band, or, or is, you know, you gotta you, you gotta go where you think you're gonna get the best audience.
0: Exactly. A lot of people, if they're not familiar, they don't understand what it's gonna be. And it, which actually makes it even more interesting for us, because we don't, we're not your typical Cajun band. So most of the normal Cajun festivals nationally don't book us because we're too progressive. <laughs> and then most of which is which is fine with us because, you know, we've done the circuit and stuff, and it's fine. It's just not. We'd rather play for people that just love music. Not yeah. people that are there to see a specific... They want you to play the same thing that they've heard, you know, nationally. Like locally, it's different because people... Locally, people thirst for something new within the tradition. And so we thrive locally because people want... They want to see the music evolve. They want them to see a yeah. change. And a lot of the Cajun bands stick to tradition, which is great. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the young people want something new well, and so yeah. you know that's our that's our thing that's we're playing new orleans we play laughing we play all across Indiana and uh, you know it it, it it always takes people a minute to to kind of like get over what you're doing well uh, most of the young people love it the first time they hear it because like wow i get it yeah and I, actually i saw a video today where there's a thing called the black Pop festival and it's a they do like a lot of Cajun music in Zydeco, and it's kind of a folk, a local folky camp based off of the model of folk camps around the nation, like Okay, um, Floyd Fest and Red Fox and uh, different folky camps. And they interviewed a local girl, and there, and the girl said, "Who's a musician? Also a musician." She said, "She said I used to think, and this is exactly my experience too. Well, the first part. She <laughs> said I used to think that Cajun music." Was all sound the same, that it was your grandparent's music is annoying. I used to think that too when I was young. My yeah. dad played it and I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we'd go out and have a good time. We'd dance. I would be a kid dancing my cousin. we have a great time, but at the same time, it wasn't like Michael Jackson.
2: Yeah. It wasn't what you were putting it, into your walk, man, and listening to.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So this girl said that's how she felt. And then she said, but then I went to Festival International and I saw Lost by You Ramblers. And I got it. She said, "Lost by Ramblers are the gateway drug to Cajun music."
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like you said at the beginning of the show. You know, if if it doesn't progress, it stagnates and then dies. So you guys,
0: yeah, exactly, and if totally,
2: yeah, you guys are doing an amazing job of keeping the tradition alive and moving it forward. In the past couple of days, listening to to the music, I you've got a new fan in me because I think it's amazing music. And oh you,
0: man! Thank you so much.
2: And if you guys ever come to the uh, D.C. Northern Virginia area, I will definitely be in the audience.
0: Cool, cool. That's great, man. I love. It. I'm sure we'll be back there at some point, brother.
2: I hope so. They, they got some great places to to play Americana type of music, like the Birchmere in Alexandria. There's all kinds of places in D.C. So there's there's plenty of opportunity. Place
0: played in D.C. was Madam's Organ. Is that still there?
2: It doesn't sound familiar.
0: It was in Adams Morgan, but they called it Madam's Organ. It was kind of like a punk a punker, alternative eccentric venue of sorts.
2: Uh, I have to look at
0: so a. <laughs> they go
2: in and out around it. There's a few that, have, oh, that have stood the test of time, like the 930, Black Cat, the Birchmere. Nice. Um, but Very cool. Um, there, there's a lot of historical theaters that would love a band like you guys to come and, and play your music. it. Yeah they do more americana style music they don't do they don't cater to like hard rock shows or anything like that it's so i think cool. that, that's a pl- places like um oh gosh the uh union hall i think maybe one there's a lot oh, of places oh
0: yeah union hall that's right.
2: yeah and then, uh, i think that the the ford theater still does stuff there's there's all kinds of places around here so you guys ever come around this area i'll be keeping an eye out because i definitely want to check you guys out live in person not just on youtube
0: awesome mark man that'd be great dude
2: well i've kept you for you know over an hour here i'd love to uh to keep talking but you got stuff to do and uh, i don't want to keep you all night so thank you so much for all your time i really appreciate you spending it with me
0: likewise mark appreciate you having us man